<laughs> okay, yeah, I, I don't think Sam. You give him the pets. I, oh, look at who wants the kisses. I give him <laughs> weird. I do the weird things to him. Kill my roommate's cat. That's about all the time. Yeah, like, gonna, in the literal sense, safe. all the time I do weird things yeah. to him. I know. I. Oh, yeah, he looks this a is bit. The one that sleeps with me. He looks a bit shell shocked. That's for sure. It's mine. Like, it's my shell shock. <laughs> my shell shock. Oh, don't, baby. <laughs> I want right, to pick him up and just squeeze him. Oh my. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. We are back from a rather long hiatus. Um, we are going to probably not have a full this session. To... A <laughs> uh, we're probably not going to have a full session tonight, but we will be introducing a couple new players. Uh, we will be doing some metagaming of where we last left off. To kind of make it a little bit more, um, e uh, make it a little bit easier to integrate the fact that we have two new players. Two players have dropped out, um, and although the theme of the campaign stays the same, um, I've also been having some technical difficulties with my system uh, since we um, since I did a patch on Tuesday. So tonight will be a short session um, because it's mostly to get the new folks introduced. Get everybody caught up to where we are, um, kind of do a quick recap of where we've gotten to. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my, my frame rate, my encoder, everything is crashing on me already. Uh, so I suspect um, we'll probably, if we're lucky, get a little over an hour, hour and a half in like we did the previous night. It looks like I'm going to have to figure out a way to uninstall, um, uh, uninstall that patch that went in on Tuesday. I just hope it doesn't break my system like it did last time and I'm able to do the uninstall. Um, I may actually have Enigma linger after the this episode to kind of walk me through what he did to uninstall it to make sure I do it correctly. Um, Windows does not like you to uninstall things, I will tell you that much. They are not fans of that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's funny. As soon as I started streaming, um, my... My FPS is hovering between 38 and 55, um, when it normally hovers at perfectly 60, and it's it's been wonderful, and then suddenly Tuesday arrived. And what's really ironic about Tuesday is, to this day, I don't think your, like when you do the auto-install, the auto-install actually patches it. It doesn't actually not patch it. Because as soon as I got the little indicator that said your system needs to restart, my system just started just slogging and dragging on. So, but I also want to use this opportunity tonight to talk to you about um, not only, um, well, not only talk about this game, two new people that we have added to it, but this is a really good opportunity for like a teach and learn session because the TTRPG Academy, that's what we like to focus on is how you can teach, learn, and play. Not every campaign is going to go smoothly. Not every online event is going to go perfectly. Uh, you're going to have hiccups. You're going to have challenges. Um, one of the, hey, Lord Redwolf, thanks for the follow. Much appreciated. Um, games will come and go. They always do. It's the nature of role-playing games and playing Dungeons & Dragons or playing alt games. Like, this is a bit of an alt game, right? The whole premise of this campaign 
is to take a series of rule sets, combine them to build a theme. And the theme we built was 1920s alt history, where everybody is free to either play a 1920s style character, or the, the reason why it's an alt history is because the Dungeons and Dragons universe has um, collided with uh, Terra Firma. And this has allowed the collision of these universes and these timelines to create a whole new timeline. Um, with some steampunk over, you know, some kind of steampunk innuendo, a little bit of Cthulhu and Mage Madness, um, uh, some 5e uh, framework from a standpoint of the DC system, skill set system. But one of the things we've been doing up to this point is every time we level, because we do level based on milestone, I have the players reflect on everything they've been doing up to this point, and then basically they're free to choose a pre-existing feat, trait, lineage thing, or they could build their own, where maybe they decide that while playing the game, their character suddenly became really good at being a forger, and they want to be an expert or learn how to be a, an expert forger, um, or an artist, or a musician, or whatever kind of takes them down a nuanced path of how they want to evolve their character. So even though this is our table and this is our game, I really want this to be one of those test campaigns or one of those nuanced campaigns that allows the players to really, really get into the idea of evolving a character where all the rules are just guidelines and kind of like helpful ways for those characters to evolve and come into existence. Um, and in a moment, we're gonna reintroduce everybody. We're going to take the moment to kind of discuss two of our new players. Um, then we will take a few moments to, um, once again, kind of recap where we last left off. And then we'll have a new launching point, which is why I named episode nine, New Beginning, because that's okay. It, it, it happens, you know, there's a reason why I run so many games is because I love to watch players get to play. It is a lot of fun. It's genuine fun. Um, it really creates my sense of muse. And then sharing with everybody how we play, what we play, the way we play it. Um, I think it's important. I think it's important when you're unfamiliar with the game or whether you are familiar with the game. Whether you're a Dungeons & Dragons fan or a Cthulhu fan or a steampunk or cyberpunk fan, we now live in a wonderful world where we can get together online, build just about any thematic game that we want, and then try it out and play it. And hey, what? It doesn't work. Try something else. Try again, try again, try again. Our two previous players, Caldove uh, and Random Ward, um, both had to drop out of the campaign. Caldove uh, was suffering some severe medical issues um, during her pregnancy. Um, and that is not something that you mess around with. Uh, so, you know, she had to leave the game. Random Ward, work took over. It's not that uncommon, happens all the time. You spend, you know, a lot of time chatting and talking about how you want to get a campaign going. I had read on Instagram, some poor soul had spent eight months getting a campaign ready to kick off live in person. 
And then on the day everybody was supposed to show up, only two of the eight people showed up, and the campaign never got off the ground. The idea of spending, yeah, exactly, Kiki. The idea of spending too much prep time will eat into that time that people had available to them. So, you know, it's and sometimes like this campaign, we've got McCallum, Kiki, and Calmex, some of our original players, and then we got Brash and Memoris,、uh, or is it Memory? Memory, Memory, right? Memoris or Memory? Memoris. Memories,、um, you know, two new players coming into this. They're going to try their hand at it too.、Um, you know,、uh, Kiki and McCallan,、uh, they are married, and probably sometime in November they'll be moving. So we'll have some schedule disruptions there.、Uh, Enigma has a lot of、uh, alt activities he likes to do with the SCA, and he just recently started a new job. So he may have a couple or occasional interruptions, but we're very happy. That he's started his new job. He seems so much happier.、Um, both Brash and Memoris are from our Discord.、Um, you know, we have looking for group and looking for storytellers in our Discord. They responded. They liked the time slot. They wanted to play, and here we are. We're, you know, we. I did my zero session with them individually, where we talked about their character, the world, the campaign, how to get things going. So. You know, just a reminder: things will, on occasion, hiccup. It's not a reason to give up on the passion for wanting to play role-playing games with your friends. I didn't know any of these five people at all until I started playing with them, and I met McAllen and Kiki first. And we used to play live、um, on our Wednesday sessions,、um, and we played for almost two years, I think. That that one game, that yeah, because it was like a year and three or four months、uh, live, and then it was like eight months online.、Um, so it was a long time. And、yeah. Kiki died a hero's death. It was awesome.、Um, that was a good game. <laughs> that was a fun <laughs> one. That was a lot of fun. So just a you know, just wanted to you know let everybody know that this is what can happen from time to time. Campaigns reset, reboot. Or they alter a little bit because they get new players. Don't let it get you down. Keep trying and get better, and just keep trying. And getting better means you're always trying. And with the online community, by the way, if you join our Discord, I'd be more than happy to help you build your own online game.、Um, with our, you know, with an online community, you have so many more options at your fingertips. There are literally. Millions of players and maybe thousands of DMs in comparison to the overall, you know, schism of people running games versus people playing in games.、Um, I am one of those rare breeds that really just enjoys running games,、um, and it, I can assure you, it's not a control freak thing because if it was, it would feel very different.、Um, I just, I'm not a very good writer. But I can storytell like a typical Irishman, and that's always been kind of my focus. My energy is in the storytelling business. I can do okay writing structurally and and can organize my thoughts, but could I be a professional author? Way too much discipline involved in that work. So I don't know.、Um, will I try it at some point? Maybe because I've got literally thousands of pages of content that 
In some cases, it's from older games. In some cases, are my upcoming newer games. Um, I also run pay-to-play tables. I'm up to three full pay-to-play tables. I've got a fourth table starting up on the 19th, and I've got a fifth table that I just opened for the, I think, the 26th. Um, as we, you know, head into the fall holidays, those are my private. Um, no one else really sees them or watches them. If they choose for, to, for them to share them on Twitch, I leave it up to the table. So really quick, we're going to remind everybody of our three original players and we're going to get introduced to our two new players. Um, since Kiki is not there, McAllen, let's start with you. Go ahead and remind everybody the character that you're playing. So <clears throat> I'm playing McAllen. Uh, I am a furbog. I'm approximately 100 years old. I grew up in a rough part around Oklahoma. Basically, my family was brought during the convergence, as it were, and I kind of grew up learning how to investigate and find out things that were going on, and I made a name for myself doing so. I got recognition by the government, uh, high-profile people, which led me down a path of trying to become the best investigator in this country at this time, but always kind of feeling half full. So I have some motivations of my own that still have not been quite revealed, but I am a little bit of a, how do I put it? A little bit of a pessimist. But who you? No way. Furbogs are great. <laughs> but you know, I keep trudging on because I, I have my own kind of motivations that hopefully we'll find out at some point. And Calamax, go ahead and tell us about your cool character. Calamax. Well, he's a doctor. But let me tell you, he's not just any doctor. He's the doctor. Okay. You need a new leg? I can build you one and put it in your eye. This sounds like a commercial. <laughs> it's infomercial time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was waiting for the Doctor Who the Doctor Who music to kick in because yes. he's like the doctor. <laughs> no, but uh in all serious, Calamax is a doctor. He is definitely more of the serious type. Thank you for the follow, Miko. Because of his past and background that um, one person has found out about in our group. Um, person. Person. <laughs> I say person in a relative sense. You are a person. Um, but still, uh, you know, they found out a little bit about me. Um, I have figured out as Calamex has attached himself to these people and trying to protect them, he realizes that they kind of need more than a doctor sometimes. They need a doctor not only for physical pain, but for the emotional pain they also carry, which he he tries to help in both ways. Um, he has his own issues that he hasn't really brought up to the group at all. But uh, he is interesting. He also has a very interesting companion. 
Yes, no we'll, to, we'll touch on that shortly. Uh, Kiki, tell us about Kiki Lee. Um, so Kiki Lee is basically a name she came up with, but she's actually an alien from somewhere really far, not of this galaxy. And there's no real translation, but if you were to translate as best you could, it would be Planet Mbop, like the Hanson <laughs> Brothers song. But um, she's used to having no physical form, no physical structure. Um, so she was sent to Earth basically to study it, just to get to know the life forms. And she's still getting used to this physical form. She's, she is starting to get more used to it as she studies people and whatnot. So yeah, she's literally just here to learn and have a good time as the concept of time is a little bit different to her. The concept of physical things, of eating, of fear. These are all new concepts to her. So she's learning as as she's going. And she has a pretty interesting partner in crime as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. she does. So, uh, Memoris, just give us a brief idea about the character that you're playing. You don't have to go too deep into your backstory. Um, so Memoris, uh, he prefers to go by M for most people. I keep it simple. Uh, and he himself is a simple half-elf. Uh, and uh, one way to kind of describe him is instead of he's more of a collector and instead of collecting most odds and ends and knickknacks you would think most people do he is more of a collector of the mind likes to collect secrets memories information sees information as more valuable than currency of any world and uh, if you ever think about striking a deal with him he's always up or uh, maybe a secret, or uh, a little bit of information he might not know. Nice. Uh, with that, Brash, tell us about uh, Brash Rhythm. Well, uh, Brash Rhythm is a former, uh, I guess, de is a denizen, citizen of Toral, uh, who came over in her adolescence, uh, and is it was from a Tabaxi tribe. Um, and while most of her people have kind of found their way into, uh, society, she decided to not, because it confused her and she didn't like it. So, she is, for all intents and purposes, a hobo now. <laughs> uh, and trying to kind of stick as much to the ways that she remembers from her childhood as she can. So, that's basically it. There's not much to her. At all. <laughs> so the premise of this theme, the premise of this particular campaign was the descendants. And the idea was that history is full of legends. History is full of myth, superstitions. But what if they weren't myths? What if they weren't superstitions? What if people who claim to see ghosts actually saw ghosts or the memories of people or possibly even people traveling through other gates that were made available for other reasons. Toral 
the founding realm and world of Forgotten Realms and some of the other lands as well was dying. An aging world with gods that had long had banded it, but the people weren't ready to give up. A stranger arrived. When this stranger arrived, they had made promises that just sounded too good to be true. But one by one, over the course of many centuries, some people went in dribs and drabs, until finally Toril itself could no longer hold itself into existence, and a mass exodus that took many years to complete began. The stranger brought these individuals and these large populations of people through both word of mouth and influence and coercion, subtle lies, subtle truths, to terra firma. Because now to be on Earth is to be a Terran. As in 1917, a mysterious organization called the Unity started to investigate a gateway. This gateway had been opened up by another unknown organization that was attempting to leverage either information or magics of a world that once was used to unleash the plague upon Terran, Terra Firma, back in the 13 and 1400s, to be precise. That knowledge slept and lay hidden for many centuries until the Great War started in 1916. The magics and the librarians involved dabbled with this gateway. But instead of finding the gateway of their predecessors, they found a gateway that led into another world entirely. And that gateway had unleashed a mass exodus of newcomers unlike anything the Terra Firmas have ever seen. For to be Terran is to not be a newcomer. At first, there was suspicion, revulsion, concern, fear, mass um, incarcerations. Uh, camps were built to keep everybody contained. But after a while, through diplomacy and effort and subterfuge, they gradually earned their freedom or were allowed to explore Terra for the first time. Some made their way to the Middle East, some made their way to Central and South America, some made their way to North America, some settled in Europe. But what they began to introduce into this world was a new concept. A industrial age colliding with the ability to control magic. A new world of augmentation and a collusion of thought and beliefs, as well as the understanding that other worlds do exist and how this impacts a very mindset of a culture, of a people. However, the Unity Council that has been around for many a millennia has always gathered the brightest and greatest minds to it in an effort to keep this universe as stable as possible. With good intent comes curious outcomes. The world is not as black and white as you might want to think it is. It's more of a shade of gray that you're kind of struggling to find your way through. This world is on a new timeline, on a new path. 
But the Unity Council over the millennia has collected descendants, collected the memories and portions of unique personalities and individuals and safely stored them in a vault that they call the Vault of the Descended. Every time somebody joins the Unity Council, if proven, they get an opportunity to go before these descended. And sometimes these descended choose to adhere to those that come before them. In this case, three of our players have already gone through such a situation. McCallan, given the opportunity with his background and the insights that he had learned up to that point, found himself bonded with the descendant known as Sherlock Holmes. Kiki Lee found herself bonded with the descendant known as Lothbra Rothbrook, a famous- Ragnar Lothbrook. Sorry, Ragnar Lothbrook. I was Lothbar Bragbrook. Yeah, <laughs> dyslexia is a real thing, Marvel. people. It happens. <laughs> Ragnar Lothbar. Uh, yeah. Ragnar Lothbrook. Um, and their pairing has been interesting to say the least. Um, and then we have Calamax's descended as he paired with Nostradamus. All of these pairings are based on certain points in time when these personalities, memories, and the essence of who they were at a point in time were collected by the Unity Council, put inside the, the vault of the descended with the intent of calling upon them in case they were ever needed to keep this world, this universe, moving forward. Keeping it from self-destructing. Keeping it from, well, bad things from happening. Not all bad things are well known, not all good things are obvious. But the Unity Council seems trustworthy up to a point. Originally, Calamex, Caldove, Random Ward, Kiki, and McAllen had all met uniquely. Kiki, give us a quick background on where Kiki Lee originates from and how does she view the world as she's on her way to that famous cafe outside of San Diego? Um, going to San Diego, so far in her journey on Earth, she landed in New York City, and she has the ability to just conjure up money, kind of like an alchemist. So she's just insanely rich, spent all her time partying and living unlike most of the people in the world, just extremely rich, like the 1%. So she's not really in touch of real people. Real people, I, like super rich people aren't real people. Rich people are fucking weird. You guys know that. They're really weird. They make their kids apple and blanket and stuff like that, you know? Like it's kind of crazy. Roman numerals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Elon Musk's kid, like hello. Anyways, so- I believe, this is, I so believe she, Elon Musk's kid is a QRF code. <laughs> it, anyway, is that normal, really? So this is what Kiki's like exposed to, and she's like, oh, this is how humans are, right? But it's not. Like, those people are kind of like aliens too, right? I mean, come on. So um, as she's going to San Diego, she's just like, you know what? Like, I, I need to experience something outside of this bubble. I feel like <laughs> these places, um, people who have more on their diet than caviar and champagne, um, it might be worth looking into. So she's just curious. 
trying to get out of that zone because if you're just studying the super rich people, you're basically studying another race of aliens. So yeah, she's, when she's heading over to San Diego, she's like, okay, poor people stuff, okay. <laughs> the so, curiosity yeah, like, of Kiki Lee. <laughs> yeah, she's like alien times two. So alien from another galaxy and then alien again, as in like that 1% that is just super weird. <laughs> And with that, we'll switch on over to Calamex really quick. As hands jammed into a trench coat, it's raining, hat pulled down over your nose, walking towards a familiar job that you've done over and over again, but receiving information about a particular cafe somewhere outside of San Diego. Tell us about what Calamex has been doing and what led him out to the world. Well, Calamex is different from most people. He's lived more than a millennia. He's seen things that most would break from. But he has a calling being a doctor, healer, a man of medicine. But now coming to this new world, I've learned a machinery that can also help in the fixing and mending of lost limbs, bones, anything. The sky is the limit. And now I study bioengineering. <clears throat> and it has become my absolute mission to find a cure for a plague that is hit multiple parts of the world. And nobody wants to fund me because I don't have a proper education. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to somebody else, someone more mindful, some more loose. And I went to go work for Al Capone, doing several upgrades and other things, curing him of different diseases, as well as keeping him alive long past when he was supposed to die. I've gotten into his good graces. Not only has he funded my research, but he hires me to work on his guys when they have issues. I have a, I have a reputation as a doctor. Both above ground and below. But don't worry, the scalpel is just one of my weapons. With that, McKellen, sitting behind that desk, saying goodbye to it for the last time, realizing that working black box with the agencies would finally be in your past, you took the opportunity to set up your own investigation ability, your own investigation front. And you spent some time both co-mingling with those national agencies and international agencies. You've watched some of the most infant beginnings of what someday may become some of the most powerful networks known the humanoid kind. But your Furbog sense has always been an, an unease to others. But tell us about what brought you to San Diego and the opportunity to finally work with the Unity Council. 
Well, as I had a troubled past, <clears throat> past and have been trying to do more to help my own kind and the others in my family that came through during the convergence, I sought a higher office and better opportunities. But unfortunately, work always gets in the way of my own drive for figuring out things that could be helpful. Um, the Unity Council seems like the big opportunity, more connections, more, you know, stronger, more well-connected individuals is always useful to have when you're an investigator. So that led me down the path of seeking out um, work with those who are almost not even spoken of in some circles, but well known in those who are well off. <laughs> so thus I made my way down to San Diego for greener pastures, if you would. Caldove and Random Ward were two of your companions that you eventually met up at the cafe. The cafe actually turned out to be a front. A simulation had already been started. Rumor was President Coolidge had been assassinated and that you were taken to a location to study the crime scene live. The idea was that a device had frozen the assassination attempt in its place. There, you began to try to decipher all manner of this image, this simulation. You began to learn about each other's abilities and what you can and could and couldn't do. You met new and strange people and surprisingly others that are purposely forgettable. People that use very simple obvious pseudonyms as opposed to their contemporary names. But you then learned that this simulation was based both on fact and fiction. It captured a goblin of an assassination organization and had somehow managed to peel back the veil of its brain and piece together what they think might happen in a week's time. And what they did is they put this puzzle together in an attempt to see if you could solve it. For the most part, you and your team collectively solved it. And it began to open up new avenues of discussion and possibilities. The other thing that still ravages this world, as Calamix had stated, was the continued rise of what we call the Spanish flu, but still very pervasive throughout the world, as well as World War I. Not only has World War I continued on, but here in the Southwest, where this team is now based, the front, only a hundred or so miles away, it would seem that their investigations have led them in that direction. The first hint of uh, possibility led them to a town called Denning. Once in Denning, they began to decipher some interesting situations. They discovered somebody was attempting to smuggle a baby dragon 
into terra firma. They also discovered that augmented parts infused with both magic and technology components, as well as written plans and blueprints to infuse them onto the bodies of adult dragons were discovered. As Random Ward's connection with the underground and the criminal element had brought the team closer and closer to some possibilities. Now, this was only a few days that had passed, but before they had made their way to Denning, they had their first opportunity to, to go to Thinville and make some discoveries there. Discoveries that almost killed them. And if it wasn't for the uncontrollable protection of Calamex, who changed into his true dragon form to protect those from dying, they all woke up in hospitals with new augmented abilities. McCallan with his new legs, Kiki with her new orbital socket, skull, part of her face being rebuilt with some of the new technology that Calamex has been working on. Random Ward, I believe, had an arm replaced and so did Caldev. He had his back replaced. Yes, he had his back replaced and Caldev had her arm replaced, which unfortunately sent her into a spiral of concern and depression as being a fae, not being your whole organic self is somewhat of a detriment within their culture. Once again, finding more reason to be out on her own and to practice her illusionary arts. Once in Denning, barely escaping, not only with the parts that were being smuggled in the baby dragon, but Calamex had taken the opportunity to sneak into a local government office after seeing the Senator Pancho Villa arrive with an entourage of drow, and they seemed to be meeting with some representative military forces that were all from the state of Texas. Here, Calamex learned that some kind of negotiation was going on that involved the drow, um, as well as Senator Pancho Villa and perhaps others. But before he could delve too much deeper into this, the person who was intended to pick up the smuggled dragon, as well as the parts, arrived. This created confusion that had to be covered up. Calamax blasting away with his machine gun down a hallway blindly, giving everybody the ability to make it to the truck, and then a wild pursuit out of town that was both fought by airplanes, tanks, government troops trying to prevent them from leaving, but they managed to reach their air dirigible because they no longer had their fancy armored car that was destroyed back in Thinville. Once on the air dirigible, they had received new information that someone by the name of Slackjaw, an agent who served in the front line, possibly had additional information for them as well. They made their way down towards that part of the front, landed, hid the dirigible, and did their best to sneak in to the area. However, they had drawn the suspicion of the drow agency. And that drow agency made an attempt on all their lives. The bomb exploding the truck that I believed contained both McAllen and Kiki, who were attempting to communicate and gather information from Slackjaw, 
and then an attempted bombing of the air dirigible back where Calamex, Random Ward, and Caldove were waiting with the dragon in hopes that McCallan and Kiki would come back with the necessary information. Some of that information included a location that they call the hatchery. Located in a town somewhere between Texas and New Mexico. This hatchery is said to contain thousands of eggs and some unknown agency or some unknown group that seems to be doing research and development on this place, as well as the contents within. Once the team all made it back to the dirigible, Random Word decided that the team needed a break. They needed a rest. He originally thought of his smuggling location that most of his contacts are with, the base of operations that he will launch often most of his efforts to make um, as much funding as he could, as well as derive uh, as much information with contacts and build new contacts as well. The town of Stanton. And where we last left off, the team was bringing the dirigible into an area just outside of the town of Stanton, only to see ruination all around them. Huge bombed out craters, buildings smoking and on fire. It would appear the entire community had been destroyed and leveled to the ground, just as the air dirigible was in the process of landing. Crash. For the last year or so, you've spent your time on the back of freight trains, making your way from the central part of the country towards the western fringes of the country. Often, through performance, through intimidation, through bravado, in some cases just sheer naivete that the effort of staying alive has brought you from place to place to place. As you sit there drinking from a beer bottle gone far too warm, talking to the Terran sitting next to you, the name of a town called Stanton is mentioned to you. An opportunity for people flying just underneath the surface of normal society could possibly make a little extra dollar, make a little bit of influence, take a rest from the travel. The train you're on is currently on the way to this community of Stanton. Memorous. For you, sleight of hand, musical interpretation, the illusion of your activity and what you do, the kind of nuanced approach and how you do it has garnered you an interesting reputation. No one ever really knows or remembers you by name. There's a way that you can easily take care of that each time you meet up with a contact or take an opportunity to pass information over for dollars, for coin, for whatever wealth people are willing to trade. Because the barter system in a subculture is pretty common. You're currently on a bus making your way towards a town called Stanton. There, supposedly, is an individual willing to pay you close to $1,000 in American dollars 
or some information that you had recently gathered from two individuals that eventually became corpses. This information is simply their memories of the last 24 hours, and it does nothing more than tell you how they died and potentially who killed them. None of these figures are familiar to you. You're simply a delivery boy on your way, taking the information to the highest bidder. But building out this network is important to you. The risk is definitely worth it. For a thousand dollars, you could definitely buy your way into places that you couldn't get into before. Brash, as your freight train pulls in to Stanton Station, which is quite literally within a mile of the town itself, go ahead and give me a perception check, please. Here we go. Uh, how's a five? Standing oh, yeah. there looking out on this town, it is the most stunning town you've ever seen. It's got buildings. Looks like it's got a little portable toilet out front. It's got a restaurant. It's got very nefarious looking people walking around eyeing you suspiciously. You watch as a very tall, thin elf with scruffy hair, kind of picking at his teeth, just looks at you, eyes you for a moment, and then walks away. This is a town you could settle in for a bit, earn a little money, get back on your feet before heading out into the wide world yet again. As you meander through town, you find a bulletin board, a pegboard, so to speak, stuck on the outside of a small cafe called the Burning Rung. And on this board, there are lots of listings of odd jobs, things to do. Some farmhand, uh, take, a, uh, take some manufacturer work, take some driving work. However, there's one particular post that strikes you as a little bit more fancy. It's entertaining for a fight club. As you read it further, you begin to realize it is also a posting for those that want to fight within the fight club. Both options which seem to appeal to you greatly. You grab the posting off the board and you begin to walk towards the address that you believe it to be located. As you walk by a half-elf of average looks kind of humming to himself singing and playfully manipulating an illusion in one hand and beginning to read the same posting board that you're walking away from memorist go ahead and give me a perception check please Let's see. <coughs> t6 26? Yes. Jesus. You guys got eyes on every part of his body. Um, you quickly find a posting where someone ha is hiring for clerical work in the local uh, city council or town council office. You realize this is a good opportunity to potentially collect information and see if it has value. Your contact should not be in Stanton anytime soon. You probably have a couple days on your hands. 
You even gotten word that one of the most amazing things to check out is that underneath the cafe known as the Burning Rung is the opportunity to see excellent fights, as that's where the current fight club is located at. The gambling den is sure to be attached there as well. And that always affords you wonderful opportunities to potentially learn more about people's secrets while they're busy losing the family fortunes at illegal tables. Afternoon gives way to early evening. Crash. You're currently, you're currently standing in front of a fight promoter and he just stares at you. His half-ogre form standing in front of you. So, you say your name's Brash. Brash Rhythm, yes. That's my name. What's your interest, entertainment or fighting? I like the fighting. Fighting's more fun. The fighting part. Well, it's a dollar for an entry fee. And every amount above that goes towards the main purse. If you're the last one standing, you get the main purse. Are you in or are you out, Brash? She starts like digging into like her pouch and like there's like bits of like dirt and stuff just kind of like falling out of it as she tries to like find a dollar because she doesn't really know where she puts her money she just kind of <laughs> throws it somewhere in her like belt pockets and she kind of pulls one out and it's like really crumpled up and kind of dirty looking she goes I'm in hey weave the tail thanks for the raid sure appreciate it as you hand him the crumpled up money your number is seven. We'll see you tonight, Brash. Sounds good. Ah, oh. and she's gonna kind of like turn around and try to figure out what else she could do until it's her turn. So she just kind of like, I guess, find her way to come like watch until it's her turn. Yeah, you you notice the space is incredibly dark and dank. These little miniature rooms are designed pretty much just to hold people and sit. You could see other fighters wrapping their hands, wrapping their feet, wrapping their shins. Um, most of them are kind of um, stripped down to their breech cloths and just kind of watching each other, sizing each other up. It's all manner of different people here. There are some Terrans here as well. All of them look like they've seen their fair share of fighting. They kind of eye you with the same kind of recognition they recognize a fighter when they see one. And a couple of them get up, do calisthenics, stretch, prepare themselves. In the background, you can hear a crowd forming outside of these doors. You can hear where the ring is beginning to get busy. Crowds coming and going, people hawking, people shouting out numbers and making guesses. Memorous takes you a while to make your way into the boxing ring, but you finally get there, and there you can see the fight pit. Very simple canvas, kind of covered surface with rope around it, cordoning off everything. Um, crowds are both standing and sitting, depending on your affordability. 
really it only costs you a dollar to make it in here so it's definitely worth it you can see where card games and dice games are kind of going on off to the side as people are waiting for the fights to start many different groups of people are coming and going um still no word from your contact yet but that's about a day away before you expect to hear from him or them as you're not even really sure who it is but you know that they are supposed to eventually find you here in stanton and they have some way of communicating with you which not really sure what that way is but it's nothing you haven't dealt with before and i'm sure you'll be fine dealing with it again brash as you begin to wrap your hands and wrap your feet and wrap your shins and adjust the clothing that you plan on wearing for this fight. The door opens and there's just a raucous crowd of people to greet you. You can hear cheers and people clapping and roaring and Woo! just going <laughs> apeshit as you are led into this space. <laughs> Background sound. Brush. Yeah! Go, Brush, go ahead and give me a perception check, please. Oh, goodness. We don't look good at those. <laughs> oh, the telephone table. Hold on. You can do it. Seven. That's two more points. Better Seven. than the last roll. Memorous, as you stand there out in the crowd, you watch as very interesting looking tabaxi is walking towards the fight platform you also watch from the other side as a rather large minotaur is climbing into the ring as well heavily taped his horns purposely blunted down to the base of his skull as it's illegal in the uh, fight pits to be able to fight with horns so they have been augmented and capped off but he bears the scars and tattoos of someone that's probably been fighting their whole life. You watch as the Minotaur climbs in the ring. You then watch as Brash climbs into the ring as she is introduced as Brash Rhythm. Somebody walks the perimeter of the ring holding up a placard containing the round. Let me slide my picture into the chat so that you know what I look like, because I don't look like a normal well, tabaxi. I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask to get a better um, visual, like if you could describe what you I, look like. I was working my way there. Okay. <laughs> Let me just not do that yet. Memorous, as you stare at this tabaxi in the corner, Brash, go ahead and describe yourself. Well, uh, typical, the idea of typical tabaxis is that they look like things like panthers and tigers and stuff like that. Well, the brush looks a little bit more like a Maine Coon. She's a very fluffy, Aww. but not like absurdly like fluffy, but she's like wearing, she's wearing like a normal 1920s attire, a dress, but she's six foot seven. So what would fit a normal woman is a little shorter on her, so she's also got a pair of pants that go to, that are like basically capris. Um, she's, she's, despite the fluffiness, she's also rather muscular, um, and 
long, very fluffy tail that kind of just swishes back and forth, depending on how excited she is. But at the moment, she's rather excited, so she's just kind of sitting there with her tail just kind of wee. All I can think is Stitch. <laughs> color, color is her fur. All I can think of is I, I've got a pic. There's that all slide oh, okay. in there. I would love to see. I'm gonna hope it was. Uh, is she what's... cute? I, I think she's pretty cute. Sounds, I was really lucky to get art done pretty quickly. Cute. Yeah, <laughs> she's pretty cute to me. Eh, go in. There it goes. Aww, do baby. <laughs> so she's got like grayish brown fur. And just very fluffy. She, it's kind of hard is to like. She looks adorable. Her height and her build makes her look more intimidating. But then you look at her face, and she's just like. Fluff. So she's like a gray, <laughs> cutie kitty with green eyes. Yeah, Aww. green kitty. But yeah. I'm uh, sure that's how I describe her. <laughs> cutie kitty. That's adorable. My goodness. Terrifying tall cat person. Yes. With a she's fluffy face. Yes, she's just. She's just, she's like normal to be scary, but also fluffy. So. <laughs> Six, seven, yes. so with that, Memorous, there's a moment for a, just a brief moment. As the crowd goes wild, the fighters begin to square off. The announcer begins to say something. Go ahead and give me another perception check as you're kind of watching and taking all this excitement in. It's not going to perceive anything too focused. <laughs> 22. 22. There's like a dim thrum sound. Like a... And then it's suddenly silent. No one else seems to notice it. A couple of people kind of look around awkwardly and shrug their shoulders. The last thing you remember is an explosion. The feeling of heat and just everything around you going dark. Brash, you look over in time to see the entire opposite side of the fight ring just erupt into an explosion. And as it does, you hear something crash through the ceiling right above you as yet another explosion immediately goes off. The two of you plummeted into darkness, slipping in and out of consciousness as each one of you has one hit point. Oh, uh, you mean that's oh, a lot man. of damage? <laughs> Wait, every single person? Huh? Still getting so for Brash and Memorous, it's it's a combination of heat pain, claustrophobia, struggling, each of you trying to push de debris off of the top of you as you barely hang on to consciousness. Brash and Memorous, give me athletic checks, please. And that I might do okay on. I'm not so good at She's those. She's a kitty after all. 18. Okay. 11. 11. Brash, as you break your way out from underneath the debris of plaster and burning wood, you can see off to your left, about 10 feet away, a very thin, slight elf, heavily injured, attempting to push debris off their leg and their midriff and struggling. What would you like to do? Well, she's very a little disoriented at the moment, so she's like staggering back and, oh, 
Uh, and it takes her a little bit longer than it should to kind of register that there's someone else that's still moving. And she goes, oh, oh, hold on. And she kind of scurries over and starts trying to help move the stuff off. And it's like, uh, uh, sorry, are, what, what? And you begin to lift off the debris and you can see off to your right and left the residual remains of most of the crowd that were here. Arms, legs scattered about. No other complete individuals that you can tell. This elf is helping you push the debris off of them. Brash, you're now staring down at Memorous. Memorous, you're staring up at Brash as she pulls you out from underneath a beam that's currently on fire. The two of you kind of half holding each other by shoulders, trying to keep from falling over. I need the two of you to give me perception check, please. Oh. Oh. Uh, 21. Okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. Gotta respect it. <laughs> Team. I'm what? paying attention now. <laughs> What'd you get, Memorous? Through the explosions. <laughs> 14. 14. Brash, with your arm around um, Memorous's ribcage and keeping him held up, you can see that he's definitely heavily injured, as you are, but you seem to gather a bit of your strength. He's wiping smoke and sweat out of his eyes. One of his eyes is actually beginning to swell shut. You bring up your arm to kind of keep the flame from striking you in the face. And as you do, you can see that a section of the underground portion of the fight club that you're in, the fighting ring that you're in, the stairwell is still partially exposed, and the two of you begin to drag each other in that direction. Is that the only way you can see to get out of this place? The flames licking across the, the timber behind you. You can see like fissures and, and craters. You even find yourself pulling yourself through a crater where clearly an explosion went off. Looking up, you can see fractured and disjointed parts of the above building. You can even hear distant screams and explosions coming from the outside as well. As you make your way over to the stairwell leading up, looking up into the stairwell, there's the stairs slightly covered with some more disfigured and maimed corpses on the ground. People reaching for a door handle, unable to get it open. One door is askewed inward. The other one is buckled outward. Debris kind of littering both sides of the stairwell. Memories and brash. This seems to be your only way out. The fire is beginning to grow behind you. What would the two of you like to do? I'm reading something. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm still getting used to the format for um, for D&D Beyond. I'm trying to find so, it, what, so the door is locked me. or is it just like it's covered in debris? It looks like it's partially covered in debris and suffered damage from the explosion. Does it look like it'll be hard to open? Uh, give me an investigation check. Uh, how about a one? Yeah hard to tell oh, you're checking no. you can see rocks hanging from above and you can see fractured door wells kind of or door jams kind of buckling in on themselves i'm gonna try to bull rush it and just try to shove the door open give me an like, athletics put check i'm a little bit behind me and okay. do that 
that's not the right dice. Maybe you roll a 20. Uh, you said athletics? Yep. 13. 13. You slam into the door and it cracks and it rattles underneath your weight, but doesn't budge. Kind of like growls under her breath and goes, come on, and tries again. Okay. 17. This time, you feel the door begin to give. It cracks. You watch as the door jam sags a little bit more under the weight, and about two-foot section of the door slams down onto the ground because it was already fractured open, giving you the ability one by one to possibly pull yourselves through. And as that part of the door crashes down, you can see the last few flights of the stairs that lead up into the now burning cafe. And you can hear just screams and hollers and the occasional explosion going off. Oh, they're still going. So we can try to get out through the bot. Is that what you're saying? Seems like it. Okay. Try to. So Brush is gonna gonna look at it and go. Do you think we can fit through that? And then she's gonna just Would not be. even wait for an answer and start trying. <laughs> <laughs> can we fit? I'm gonna try anyway. You watch, uh, Maris. You watch as Brash, after asking you that question, she pulls herself through as best she can. Uh, give me acrobatics, please. Yeah. Memorous, if you're gonna try as well, give me acrobatics. 19. 19. Nice, nice. Yay! Being proficient. Unnatural 20 for me. Okay. The two of you, with each other's help, managed to just kind of pull one by one through this opening. And as you come up the last flight of stairs, you realize that the cafe's been laid to waste. You can see huge burning piles of rubbles through, throughout the entire town of Stanton. It's late at night, so the eerie glow of the flame and buildings on fire and people running about and screaming. And then every now and then, you just hear this low guttural roar from up above. Just this... <laughs> and this, just this gale of wind <laughs> kind of swoops over. And then you hear... <laughs> What would the two of you like to do? That. As you look up, give me a perception she check. Stop. She's completely just stopped right off of the door, just kind of, huh? What's that? Oh. Besides simply looking, would I at all be able to, 22. like, just from the sounds and seeing as it's most likely in the air, tell what exactly that could be? Uh, give me a history check. One. 21. Brash, what'd you get? Uh, I got 22 on perception. Yeah. You watch as Memorous's hand, without him even really knowing it, just kind of holds onto your shoulder briefly, and he points, and then you look, and both of you see the shadow of just the largest dragon you've ever seen swoop right over in time to watch a whole volley of explosives drop from it. <laughs> <laughs> 
as you hear the roars begin to fade, the last errant cries of people running about kind of fade as well as they are instantly vaporized by the explosion. You watch as the large shadow just kind of drifts away and away and away and you no longer can hear it or see it. You said it was dropping explosives. That's what it looked like. Now, you would only know this because you do remember seeing planes uh, do their own kind of testing as well. This would have made you a little bit familiar with the idea that they were dropping bombs or it was dropping bombs. I didn't know dragons could carry bombs. You can carry anything. Oh. Like, drop them like that. What? Why? I think the dragon itself <laughs> was dropping them. Maybe someone on the dragon, since it is rather large. Dropping them. You think somebody's riding the dragon? It is possible, especially uh, due to the size of the dragon. I want to ride a dragon. <laughs> I wouldn't want to ride this one. This one does not seem to be exactly the most friendliest. No. This one seems like a jerk. I want to ride a nice that dragon. Would be a bit of an understatement, but yes. <laughs> the two of you. Funny begin to kind of pull yourselves out of the rubble, looking around. There are bodies everywhere, fires breaking out all around you. And it's late at night. There doesn't seem to be any survivors at this point. As you begin to try to find a spot to hunker down and get some respite from all of the injuries and activity that just took place. You could see a small building, maybe a small residential house, not very big, maybe a few hundred square feet, with a door partially opened. Making your way over there, checking inside. Give me investigation, please. Thirteen. Thirteen. Seems to be vacant. No one in here. The best part is not on fire. Mostly standing. You and Memorous immediately just kind of collapse into the interior of the building, exhausted, nearly dead. The two of you fall asleep. It's only the sound of mourning that kind of pours in through the partially open door. It's light hitting you in the face, waking you both up equally. Memorous out of your meditative state, brash, you kind of, um, your eyes flutter into consciousness as you both take the effect of a long rest. You look out the door, and once again, you can hear noise, but it's not that familiar thrum. As the two of you stare out the door, you can see what looks to be a large airship slowly descending towards the outskirts of Stanton. And as it begins to descend, you watch as it lands and you see five individuals begin to disembark from the airship. One, a fey-touched, another a furbog, another one that you swear has strange, shiny bits of skin, but you're not really sure if that's true. Not anymore, remember, he's burnt. Oh, that's right, he's burnt now, I forgot about that. You watch he just as- has, He's just a burnt black man. <laughs> You watch as <laughs> you watch as a 
very heavily armed, swaggering individual seems to be very distraught at the sight that he sees. And then finally, you see a Chinese female form following up behind the others. These five individuals seem to be very much taken aback, looking at the town in total shock. The one heavily armed individual, the Terran, drops to his knees, screaming at the top of his lungs. And that's where we're going to finish tonight, folks. <laughs> who, who was that? Random. Oh, I look like a Terran, too. <laughs> well, sort of. No, sort I of. look... I look like a Terran. Oh, it's a weird the Terran with terror. the fucking thing now. Yeah, so we're gonna finish. <laughs> we're gonna finish early because I'm starting to get those spikes that tell me I might crash. So, um, oh, no. we will meet again next Wednesday, six forty-five, um, and we will continue this adventure. But I mostly wanted tonight to be about telling everybody where we left off, the summary of the campaign, get everybody to meet each other, get your character intro taken care of. Um, get the base, basics done for the overlay. I'll have the Sirenscape stuff out to everybody in the next few days. Um, Enigma, hang out when we're done because I want you to help me walk through the uninstall to make sure I do it right or else it's going to be another 24-hour day of me reinstalling the entire image of an old system. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and that's lots of fun, folks. That is lots of fun. Hey, Vince, there you are. Thanks for coming out. Um, so yeah, everybody, thank you for joining us. Um, I know tonight's a little bit of a short episode, but we did take some time off because people had to leave the game. Uh, two new folks are entering the game. Um, and I just kind of wanted to use this as a quick way to get everybody caught up, introduced, get the new part of this campaign kicked off as everybody will now be in the ruined town of Staten, there'll be an opportunity for the new players to meet the old players and to see in what direction this campaign will go to next. So, um, as I always like to say, be kind, be safe, play a game. It's important. You'll love it. I promise. Good night, everybody, and thanks. Bye.